today on Reparations in Action. Capitalism is a product of imperialism. If anything, capitalism is imperialism developed to its highest stage. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Uhuru! You're listening to the Reparations in Action podcast and FM radio show, White Lies Shattered series. My name is Jamie Simpson. Reparations in Action is a program of white solidarity with black power. And the first 13 episodes we have dubbed the White Lies Shattered series, which will use the theory of African internationalism as developed by Chairman Omalia Shatella of the African People's Socialist Party to overturn the insidious lies we tell ourselves as white or European people about the nature and origin of capitalism. At a time when parasitic capitalism is in the deepest crisis we have ever seen, from which it clearly cannot recover, we believe it is our responsibility to understand the history of how we got here through the eyes of the African working class. We will identify a myth or lie that this colonial system spreads about itself each week and use the historical record and African internationalism to shatter that lie once and for all. We believe reparations to African people is the key question of our times and is one that demands action on the part of European or white people. As always, we'd like to salute Black Power 96 where this show is aired for our podcast weekly. Today we are taking on the white lie that capitalism has benign origins. With me today is Penny Hess, chair of the African People's Solidarity Committee, and Jesse Neville, chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Uhuru, Penny Hess. Uhuru. Thank you, Jamie. And also, it's really great to hear from, be hearing from you, Jesse. I'm really excited about being back on Reparations in Action. And I'm very, very happy that we can take on this very insidious lie and self-delusion and colonial narrative that capitalism was born in a benign way, that it could actually be reformed somehow, and that all we have to do is go back to the good old days of when capitalism was was better. So we want to look at that and and just rip that to shreds. So, you know, Chairman Omalia Shatella is the leader of the Uhuru movement. He is the chairman of the African People's Socialist Party. And for the last 50 years or more, he has been working to clearly expose and explain how capitalism was born parasitic. And I just want to salute Chairman Omali's Ishitela's work, um, and not just in, in the realm of political theory, but on the ground organizing for the liberation of African people who formed the African People's Solidarity Committee that I am a member of. I'm very honored to be able to be the chair of that organization. And as Chairman O'Malley Shatella has proven beyond a doubt that capitalism was born on unspeakable violence, on genocide, vicious profit motive, plunder, rape, every possible kind of crime against humanity, that was the birth of, of capitalism. Over the past few weeks, we have been discussing what the world looked like in history 
And when there was a time, um, you know, millennia, when there were healthy, independent, self-determining civilizations around the world uh, with political and economic power and self-determination over their own lives, over their own economies, over their culture, um, their narrative. And um, that was a very different world than, than we experience today. And that, as Chairman O'Malley Shatella has proven, it is colonialism that has pushed the majority of the world backwards in order to make Europe, quote, go forward. And that forward motion is bogus because it is a threat to everybody else on the planet and even bringing the entire world to the brink of an existential crisis. So, you know, we've talked about how the world was changed, how the birth of the capitalist system came about as white power, as parasitic power, and what that meant for the rest of the world, and how we as white people can begin to see and understand the experience of the rest of the world through the political theory called African internationalism that was um, created by Chairman O'Malley Chatella on historic record, not fantasy or um, you know some kind of philosophical idea extracted, very much removed from reality, but in fact something that takes reality, that takes historic record and the conditions of African and oppressed peoples today um, and, and sums it up to show us the real causes of all the problems in the world today and, and the way things got to be the way they are. So this is the question of colonialism, colonialism and the demand for reparations, the question between the power of white people and the fight for power by the oppressed, white people being the colonizers. So there's this question of what is called race, the struggle of African and oppressed peoples against coloni the colonial system. And in fact, it's not just by about an idea in people's heads, but about a political and economic system in which a whole people or social system backed up by state power dominates and, and controls and oppresses another whole people for profit. This is what colonialism is, and this is what defines the world today. And it is the European, North American colonial system that dominates and um, seriously attacks and, and carries out violence against the majority of humanity on this planet. I wanted to start by reading a great quote from Chairman O'Malley Shatella, and this is from his book Vanguard, The Advanced Detachment of the African Revolution, which was in fact the political report to the seventh Congress of the African People's Socialist Party that was held in 2018. And in it, um, the chairman is saying, unlike Marx and Lenin, we African internationalists deny that there has ever been anything progressive about capitalism. Capitalism was born in disrepute of the rapes, massacres, occupations, genocides, colonialism, and every despicable act humans are capable 
of inflicting. The chairman continues, capitalism was not responsible for some great, otherwise unimaginable leap in production, which, despite its contradictions, resulted in human progress and enlightenment. What capitalism did was to rip the vast majority of humanity out of the productive process in Africa, Asia, the Middle East, Australia, and what has become known as the Americas. The hundreds of millions dead due to the slave trade and slavery itself, the millions exterminated everywhere Europeans ventured. These are people whose hands were forever removed from a relationship with nature that would result in, quote, production. Europeans achieved their national identity by way of this bloody process. This is not something that only happened a long time ago. The world's peoples are suffering the consequences of capitalism's emergence right now. That, to me, is profound. It's poignant. It gets to the essence of the question and shows how that these conditions of imperialism and colonialism continue today in an incredible, vicious way. I want to salute um, Chairman O'Malley Chatello's brilliant, brilliant analysis, which makes sense for us to see the reality that there are two worlds, that there are the colonizer and the colonized. And white privilege has a material basis. We are the colonizers. We are the ones that carry out the will of the colonial system to oppress and to exploit African people and, and the people on the planet Earth. So stay with me. Really want to get into this. And Chairman O'Malley Chatella makes a point in a quote by Hosea Jaffe, who we've, we've quoted from in the, in the last few um, sessions, series of, of this episodes, where Jaffe says, Europe was driven outward, not by wealth, but by poverty. This point is made by anybody who wants to to study history, that at the time of, of Columbus in 1492, the same year that the Spanish Inquisition and the Reconquista were taking place, by the way, um, the Reconquista was, was really um, one of the first, I mean, maybe we would say the second after the, the European Crusades, but in which um, the white identity was was really being consolidated because the Reconquista was where the white European Aryan Spaniards were driving out of Spain Africans, Arabs, Jews, and Roma. They were carrying out, make, make Spain, Spain again, make Spain white again. That's that's what they were doing. And um, so this is the exact same period that Columbus is going out to the world to begin to conquer it in the name of the Spanish crown and to um, begin a process of genocide and colonialism that the world still faces today. David Stannard, whose brilliant book, American Holocaust, has talked a, a lot about um, this whole North, North American, South America um, what the what the conditions of, of the civilizations of the indigenous people were the true history of that of these uplifting and brilliant um, you know civilizations of, of these people 
but also who presents the conditions of poverty and, um, you know, and just uh, of violence that white people experienced under feudalism. Standard said Europe was racked by disease, disease that killed in massive numbers. It was a world in which all but the wealthy often could not feed themselves and in which the wealthy hungered after gold. I did want to, to quote a little bit from the Pope, Pope Urban's call in the year 1095 um, that called for the first crusade by white people into um, North Africa and what is now occupied Palestine um, into you know, the Palestinian and the Arab peoples of North Africa to, to dominate them, to steal their resources, and to colonize them, which actually um, Europe, Europe did. And so Pope Urban, who made the call for the first crusade in the year 1095, said, let none of your possessions detain you. He's calling on people to volunteer, to go out and, um, you know, just wage holy war or colonial war against uh, Arab and African people of Northern Africa. He said, no solicitude for your family affairs, since this land you inhabit is shut in on all sides by the seas and surrounded by the mountain peaks, is too narrow for your large population, nor does it abound in wealth, and it furnishes scarcely food enough for its cultivators. Hence, it is that you murder and devour one another, that you wage war, and that frequently you perish by mutually inflicted wounds. So he's saying, be white, have a consciousness of, of unity, of white nationalism. This is our identity as white people, regardless of the country of Europe that we come to. Go out and, and fight the Arabs. And he's saying, let therefore hatred depart from among you. Let your quarrels end. Let wars cease. And let all dissensions and controversies slumber. Enter upon the road to the holy sepulcher. Rest that land from the wicked people and subject it to yourselves. That land, which as the scripture says, floweth with milk and honey, was given by God into the possession of the children of Israel which he's claiming means white people, which is something that we still see play out today. But that, I just think that, you know, this consciousness of Europe's limitations, of its poverty, of its internal wars, its wars against each other, um, you know, just this building, this consciousness between this, the Reconquista in Spain a few centuries later, but this ongoing development of a white consciousness that comes about at the expense of indigenous African Arab peoples. And the first organized assault on Africa, which began in 1415 through uh, Portugal, and what is called Prince Henry the Navigator, coordinated that and actually began the conquest of the islands off the coast of Africa, then going into West Africa, you know, just being able to penetrate the colonial domination and ownership over these lands and these people. This is what built, and this is the birth of capitalism. This is what, as Chairman O'Malley Chatella has so clearly laid out, this is what transformed 
Europe from a social system based on feudalism into capitalism. It means that that feudalism was dominated by lords and ladies, a tiny minority of people um, who had castles and and owned all the land, and the serfs were tied to the land to produce the food for the people in the castles and and this nobility. And it was, um, you know, something that white, the majority of white people had little or no power over their lives at all, but even the nobility were poor. They didn't have money. They had land, but they were waging war against each other to get resources. And this is where, you know, the Pope is saying and the ongoing European concept of banding together and attacking and assaulting African people and oppressed people to bring resources into Europe and also to be able to settle Europeans around the world in direct colonialism. And this even plays out into the Berlin Conference of 1884 and 85, in which Europe came together and divided up. All of Africa carved it up, which is why several European languages are spoken throughout Africa um, and carved it up and, and parceled it out to end the wars, the internecine uh, European wars fighting against each other, you know, for control of the so-called slave trade, the trade in African human beings, and the colonial lands that uh, European conquest had, had solidified. So, you know, Chairman O'Malley Chatella also talks about the poverty in Europe due to the plague. And how between 1347 and 1353, which just was the first wave, let me just read this um, from the encyclopedia, which says the Black Death was the largest demographic disaster in European history. From its arrival in Italy in late 1347, through its clockwork movement across the continent to its petering out in the Russian hinterlands, in 1353, the Magna Pestilentia, or the Great Pestilence, killed between 17 and 28 million people. So that was a humongous percentage of, of the European population at that time and wiped out any economy that would be there, further set back um, the European ability to, um, to have an economy and that, again, drove Europeans out to um, conquer Africa and the world and in that to, to carry out the greatest violence that the world has ever known. And between 1492 and 1919, Europe conquered 84% of the world. You know, we can talk about what it means that Europe went in and, and by the year 1500, had stolen 700 tons of gold from Africa and began more and more to kidnap and capture African human beings and turn African people into commodities for sale as work machines to work them to death in which white people had the power of life and death over them, um, ripped them from their families, pushed the much of the population of the African coast, West Coast, and others back into the, you know, further inland 
and um, making the coastlands basically, um, you know, colonies very early on, staffed by European military and um, and Europeans living there as uh, conscious colonizers to both contribute to the violence that it took to um, to build this the system but also to benefit from it and seek their livelihoods there and that it also benefit all of Europe the Europeans in order to colonize Africa and the world took the recipe if you would say for gunpowder from China turned it into weapons cannon early guns um, any kind of way even bombs to to be able to conquer the people and intimidate them and force them to submit and to fight against any resistance that might be there. And even as Europe was going against Africa and, and you know, was doing this for many centuries and still does, by the way, still has economic colonial domination over Africa in every possible way, control over its resources, the Europeans were going to the Philippines. They were killing and raping and just destroying what the people had there. They were going from Alaska to the tip of Chile in the Western Hemisphere, um, destroying huge civilizations that indigenous people welcomed them into, as did Africans. And they were going to India. They were going to Vietnam and Southeast Asia. They were going to the Arab worlds everywhere that Europeans went to steal the resources, dominate the people, steal their labor their, and their intellectual property, their ideas, their understandings, and their scientific knowledge, they brought with them, in order to carry out that goal, the most vicious system um, that, you know, and violence that the world had ever experienced that goes on today that we take for granted. You know, every day the U.S. is bombing someone, some in the world, someplace in the world. It is um, using dirty tricks to destroy movements of the people or maintain the um, the the domination over the people, and you know, all throughout the world with its more almost nine hundred military bases around the world. This is still going on. Nothing about this has changed, and the fact is that colonialism exists inside the borders of the United States as well. So. You know, we have um, the understanding that this assault on Africa, the theft of African human beings, and the building of what is called <clears throat> the triangular trade, which meant ships from Europe going to Africa, <clears throat> stealing African human beings, coming to the Caribbean, to the United States, to Brazil, to Guyana, you know, all throughout this hemisphere, selling African people and then filling up those, those ships with cotton, with tobacco, with rum, with coffee, and returning to Britain, returning to France and to other places in Europe to produce those created a world trade. This was the, quote, globalization. That's not something that just happened in the last... 40 years, this is how capitalism was born. And so, you know, we began to see Europeans getting used to having sugar with their tea, none of which is grown in Europe. They were used to having 
cottons because cotton clothing and, and, and bedding and other kinds of things and linen that became part of life that, that they were experiencing. They, they got their rum. They got addicted to coffee. All of these things, all the killer habits, by the way, of the system were born off the enslavement of African people. And maybe in a sense, that is their revenge, um, that and the liberation of African people, that the, that struggle is still going on and is winning under the leadership of, of the African working class and, and the African People's Socialist Party. The sense of world trade began with the assault on Africa and the systematic assault and conquest of the indigenous people, the Arab people, and the Asian populations of, of this planet. There were 36,000 recorded slave ship voyages. And, uh, and that's just what's recorded. So there were undoubtedly thousands more because there was a time when African people, when, when the theft of African people was contraband, quote unquote, it was so-called illegal, but it happened all the time to the United States and other places after 1808, where the importation of African people from Africa became illegal and the United States began what's called the second trade in African people, which was um, breeding, forced breeding of human beings and the theft and of their babies and children and raising the children as a crop for sale, the just insidious violence of, of the system. Um, you know, there were pirates. We hear about pirates. Pirates didn't call themselves pirates. They called themselves privateers. They were private businessmen. That's how they saw themselves. Because in the beginning, the trade in African human beings was controlled by um, the government of Holland, the government of Spain, the government of, of Britain, and uh, of which serious wars were fought over and over again of who was going to control this trade. But pirates were saying, no, we want free trade. We want as individuals to be able to participate in the assault on Africa and sell African human beings. And many, many of them did. John Lafitte, who um, had what was the discount market of African human beings off the coast of New Orleans, Louisiana, you know, was an African slave trader. He was a slave trader in African people. And so this is how capitalism was built. This is how the understanding of free trade was built, of globalization. All of these understandings were born with it. And that we know something about the genocide of the indigenous people, the massive, massive murder and slaughter, conscious slaughter. You know, um, we can read the diaries of the of Christopher Columbus's sons who talks about coming to the Caribbean islands to Haiti and uh, other places with dogs trained to um, leap at the, the bellies and abdomens of indigenous people and rip out their intestines and, you know, and kill them and chew them to death. It, you know, just the violence that this took. And again, in Philippines, South Asia, Middle East, India, you know, we could talk about, we could just spend the whole shows talking about what Europeans did in those places. The rise of the stock market. And I just wanted to read this from, was actually from Forbes um, website a couple of 
uh, a year or so ago and said, America's first bond market was backed by a most macabre form of collateral, human beings kidnapped from Africa and tortured into forced labor. A piece by Princeton sociologist Matthew Desmond draws a direct and deeply compelling connection between today's massive global market for bonds backed by everything from mortgages to lottery tickets to the U.S. economy's slavery-founded beginnings. Enslaved people were used as collateral for mortgages centuries before the home mortgage became the defining characteristic of middle America, Desmond writes. In colonial times, when land was not worth much and banks didn't exist, most lending was based on human property, enslaved Africans. He adds that many Americans were first exposed to the concept of a mortgage by trafficking in enslaved people, not real estate. The degree of deadly sophistication in this ruthless system was a testament to its premeditated and organized nature. This was already a globalized, if all too, quote, primitive financial system. Global financial markets got in on the action when Thomas Jefferson mortgaged his enslaved workers. It was a Dutch firm that put up the collateral. Most of the credit powering the American slave economy came from the London money market. So it goes on. It shows, you know, it's reinforcing what the chairman is saying. The chairman is quoting from the book, um, was actually an essay that was in the New York Times in 2012, written by Walter Johnson, entitled King Cotton's Long Shadow. And Johnson wrote, it is not simply that the labor of enslaved people underwrote 19th century capitalism. Enslaved people were the capital. Four million people worth at least $3 billion in 1860, which was more than all the capital invested in railroads and factories in the United States combined. Seen in this light, the conventional distinction between slavery and capitalism fades into meaningless. From the Irish Times, it's saying, an article, it's saying, in what's being hailed as a historic decision, Amsterdam is to, quote, apologize for its role in the slave trade, which made it the richest city in the Western world for more than 100 years, from the mid-17th to the mid-18th century, creating wealth that remains visible today. And I just want to say that it's always put forward, you know, the Italian Renaissance, the uh, Dutch Renaissance, British Renaissance, all of this came from the wealth of the of assaulting and plundering and rape, raping and selling African human beings and oppressed people around the world. And this article is saying Suriname, along with the Dutch Antilles and the island of Aruba, was where the company behind the slave trade, the Dutch West India Company, founded in 1621, and financed by Amsterdam's bankers, shipped more than 600,000 Africans to work on plantations producing sugar and coffee. Records from the 17th century show that 30 of the city's most prominent merchants were the main drivers behind Dutch slavery, which they developed to a new mass scale. These were men often associated with the magnificent can canal houses of the inner city, of Amsterdam and built to display their wealth. In fact, many of the grandest buildings in the center of Amsterdam 
have that unfortunate association with slavery, including the royal palace on the Dom, where plantation owners of Suriname met regularly, and the West India House, former headquarters of the West India Company. It was during this, quote, golden age that the Amsterdam Stock Exchange was established to provide those merchants with a safe and regulated place where they could buy and sell shares in these early globalized enterprises. It is still the oldest functioning stock exchange in the world. So, you know, Amsterdam's apologizing. Holland is apologizing. It owes reparations in the form of trillions of dollars. Everything basically that exists today is a result of this massive infusion of capital that came at the expense, the hideous and violent expense of African people. I just want to say Wall Street, same thing. This is a quote from information about Wall Street. Wall Street is a highly influential financial district, but its history, I'm talking about New York City, is rarely talked about. In order to to understand the largesse of Wall Street and the system of global capitalism, it is crucial to know Wall Street's history. Wall Street was founded on slavery, and to this day, it remains a key pillar in upholding racial inequality, which we would call colonial reality and economic oppression. New York City was a Dutch settlement known as New Amsterdam in the Dutch colonial province called New Netherland during much of the 17th century. Through the Dutch West India Company, the Dutch utilized labor of enslaved Africans who were first brought to the colony around 1627. African slaves built the wall that gives Wall Street its name, forming the northern boundary of the colony and warded off resisting indigenous people who, so they forced Africans, you know, they always do this, divide and conquer, to to fight against the indigenous people. And of course, the indigenous people were fighting for their land back. In addition, the Africans cleared the forest, built roads and buildings, and turned up the soil for farming. Slavery was not a phenomenon limited to the Southern American colonies. Northern colonies, such as Boston and New York, participated in the transatlantic slave trade. And I would just say that under the buildings of Wall Street, under that ground, is a huge cemetery, burial ground of African people. So Wall Street literally, literally rests on the bodies of African human beings. And I believe there there are thousands, thousands of African people buried under Wall Street today. You can, there is a little memorial because of the fight and struggle of the African community in New York um, that they were forced to acknowledge that. There was this cafe, a cafe where they drank coffee and where the, um, the slave ships docked coming into New York Harbor and um, that they came into Tontine's Cafe in the 1790s and registered the number of Africans that they had on their ship and other um, commodities that they were going to take with them to go back. So it's so information on Tontine's Cafe, which was right on the corner of Wall Street and another street there, but right on, on the water. It's saying that across from the meal market, where enslaved workers could be hired or bought was the Tontine Coffee House, home of the New York Stock Exchange. 
power brokers of the day met in a room there to buy, sell, and trade. As soon as the ship's captain reached the harbor, this is where he came to register his cargo. The goods coming into New York in the 1790s included coffee, tea, sugar, and molasses, fine furniture, cloth, cotton, and enslaved men, women, and children. You know, this is the foundation of capitalism. The same is true in the city of London, which is the part of London where their financial district is, where their, their, uh, their Wall Street is called City of London. And this is where Africans were, were kept, right on, um, on the docks uh, of the Thames River. And this is where also the financial district still rests today and still is today, and that the wealth and power of Europe um, was built on that. And just to say that from 1750 onwards, a new industry emerged in Britain, the production of cotton cloth. Wool production had already been Britain's major industry, but cotton had one key advantage. Machinery could process cotton better than wool. So cotton became the, one of the major industries there, as well as, of course, shipbuilding and everything necessary. This is what pushed the, um, the, the feudal serfs off the land and forced them into the cities, into the factories and mines as white workers for the first time. The need for capitalism to produce everything necessary to go out and continue to conquer, create violence, to occupy and steal from African people and the people on the planet Earth. The Industrial Revolution came out of that, and that is often considered the real transformation into the capitalist system, and that came directly from 100% um, attributable to the assault on Africa, the European assault on Africa and on the peoples on the planet Earth. And from there, um, Britain and Europe went to direct colonialism, uh, Britain bragged in the 19th century that it had an empire upon which the sun never set, and France, which had almost as large of, of an empire uh, over the entire world as well, referred to its civilizing mission that it was taking to oppress people on the planet Earth in order to justify violence that we can't even imagine. And we can look at the colonialism and the wealth extracted from Kenya, from Zimbabwe, from South Africa, from Namibia, from the Congo, where rubber and, and diamonds and uranium and today coltan and aluminum and every possible resource is still being ripped out of the earth at the expense of African people today. And in fact, in Congo, over 10 million Africans have been killed in this period due to U.S.-backed proxy wars to maintain control over the Congo reserves, which are about 80% of the entire world's reserves of, of what is called coltan necessary for all computers and, and uh, mobile phones to function, as, and it works as an electrical conductor. And so, you know, this, but the earlier period when King Leopold personally owned Congo as his own private plantation and oversaw the slaughter of at least 10 million African people in the early 20th century that is never even talked about. And there was no word for genocide until white people killed other white people 
um, in Europe in the 1930s and 20s. And that, you know, we see that we see this incredible wealth of this world. It all comes back to that. It's what Karl Marx calls the primitive accumulation of capital. I want to read something very quickly and then, you know, I want to sum up our relationship to it. But as Chairman O'Malley should tell it again in the book Vanguard quotes, he says, again, we return to the brilliant insight of this quote that we often cite from Capital, the quote that Marx himself did not recognize the significance of. And this is what Marx said. The discovery of gold and silver in America, the extirpation, enslavement and entombment in mines of the aboriginal population, the beginning of conquest and looting of the East Indies, the turning of Africa into a warren for the commercial hunting of black skins signalized the rosy dawn of the era of capitalist production. These idyllic proceedings are the chief momenta of primitive accumulation or the first accumulation of capitalists. And that the chairman says, African internationalists are historical materialists whose investigation and analysis of the world has its starting point in an examination of the capitalist-dominated world from the objective reality and experiences of Africans and the vast majority of the people of the planet, including white or European people. It is clear to us that imperialism is not a product of capitalism. It is not capitalism developed to a highest stage. Instead, capitalism is a product of imperialism. If anything, Capitalism is imperialism developed to its highest stage, not the other way around. And, you know, he's talking about that. And I also want to say that this colonial domination, the carrying out of this just almost unimaginable violence against the people on the planet Earth, it's the reason why we see the brutal murder of George Floyd and Michael Brown and so many others of the African colony here inside the borders of the United States. This happens every day. This is why we see the mass incarceration, imprisonment, rounding up of African people in a two-tiered law, legal system that is one thing for white people, uh, a totally other thing for African people, stuffing them into what was called the gulags, you know, basically hideous uh, reservations where African people are, you know, sent for their entire lives, dungeons, you know, just this hideous thing where indigenous people are forced to live on what's called reservations for concentration camps on their own land as a defeated people. And that that is, is brought you know, out again every day that the indigenous people are nothing but images for sports teams and uh, cars and other kinds of things like that. This is the reality inside the U.S. today. It required the participation and the active, enthusiastic carrying out of the general white colonial population in order for this to have happened. This is what we have to look at, how we carried out this violence to maintain colonialism and to continue to, to steal the resources of African people, both through labor and through um, the theft of their property and their own resource building work that they had done in some such places as 
Tulsa, Oklahoma, or Rosewood, Florida, where white people came together and, and burnt, burnt these down and killed, killed people, killed African people uh, massively. So that colonialism and this process of the destruction, overturning of feudalism and the rise of capitalism required the participation of the white population massively. This is the reality that, that we see today. This is the answer why there cannot be a reform of capitalism. Capitalism was born this way. It's baked into it. Everything about it is in its DNA. It is violence. It is suffering. It is oppression. It is genocide. And it requires our our uh, participation and complicity in order to be effective. And that's why we have to demand reparations. We have to break our people, white people's historic allegiance to our own ruling class in order to get a few crumbs for ourselves. That day is over because African and oppressed people are rising up for their freedom. This is a beautiful thing because they are winning. And this system is capitalism is in a serious crisis. And we have a role to play, and that is winning reparations, turning back over the stolen resources as the return of the stolen uh, wealth into the hands of the African working class. So I'll stop there. There's so much to say about this. This is a very, very important question. And thank you. Thank you, Jamie. And I want to open it up for Jesse and, and Jamie to comment and say uhuru. Uhuru, Chairwoman Penny. Yes, uh, I really want to thank you for yet another riveting presentation on the, the real nature of capitalism, which was never something benign, as it, you made so painfully clear. I think it's so critical for us as white people in this age, in this period, right now, this historical moment, to be absolutely clear-eyed and sober in our discussion of this. You know, I. I, I do want to just read briefly, if that's okay, from an, another sentence or two from Jaffe. This is page 46 of the History of Africa. And just, just so we can be crystal clear about what capitalism is, second paragraph here says, with capitalism arose Europe, and with Europe the myth of European civilization, a civilization based on African slavery, American plantations, Asian spices, precious metals from all three non-European continents based, too, on Indian numerals, Arab algebra, astronomy, and navigation. An Arab Indian took the Gama to India from Mombasa, a Chinese and Chinese gunpowder, paper, and compasses. This non-European European civilization was the narcissist-like admiration of its own conquests. The sword, gunfire, murder, rape, robbery, and slavery formed the real material basis for the idea of European superiority. And, you know, also, I just really appreciate what you were quoting from Johnson, the long shadow of King Cotton, how to discuss capitalism as distinct or separate from slavery itself is meaningless. And how offensive a concept is it to think that we're going to, what, reform slavery, reform murder, torture, plunder? Like, that, that's what it is. So that's what we're, we, if, if, we can speak of a time when oppressed peoples are going to catch up at what would they be catching up? The process of oppression? 
Because if, if you have a system based on oppression, you have to have somebody who's oppressed and somebody who is the oppressor, right? As Chairman Omalia Shatella uh, said in a, in a study just last week, the Omali taught me study series. And I really appreciate that, that when we're talking about capitalism, we're talking about one world economy, born parasitic, born through this genocidal process. And when I say genocide, I mean, we, that's almost too soft of a word in a certain kind of way. We can't say things descriptive and horrific enough to, to really get our heads around the horror that capitalism was in its birth and that it continues to be. You know, it, it's something born parasitic and genocidal. It's this one world economy to which African people, indigenous people, Asian people have been forcibly affixed. And it also demands, in a, in a very real way, that we as white people identify with this and be engaged in that same horror unless we're willing to unite with something else, unless we're willing to unite with this vision that's coming from the African working class. And it, having done that, united with reparations as the only way forward, it becomes so plainly clear the nightmare that capitalism has been for the entire world, that it continues to be as we're watching the you know dog and pony show of the 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 trial of uh, Derek Chauvin, the murderer of George Floyd, go on. How many more horrific scenes of of wanton, depraved murder are we going to sit back and see and continue to say what that the police or this system, capitalism that that has slavery and and genocide and in its very DNA just needs to take some sensitivity classes? This is just sanity. That, that, that this thing has to be overturned, that, that the resources that came through this bloodletting have to go back to Africa and something other than capitalism uh, has to take control because the system of slavery is not going to reform itself. So I, I just wanted to say that. And uh, again, thank you, Penny Hess. Uh, Jesse, did you want to comment on this, this incredible overview? Absolutely. This was this was really excellent. I also want to thank you, uh, Chairwoman Penny Hess, and uh, appreciate all of the presentations and discussions that we've had on this podcast. And this whole uh, question of the lie of the benign origins of capitalism, and then being able to really look through the eyes of the African working class and African internationalism at the truth about the the horror that is actually at the at the birth of capitalism. That like the chairman said, the capitalism was born in disrepute. And just the unimaginable, as you said, the unimaginable, indescribable violence and terror. Uh, it makes me think about the fact that like, if you go on Netflix every day or so, every week there's a new Netflix docu-series about some white serial killer that, you know, raped and t tortured women or did this or that. And, you know, I've kind of joked that mm -hmm. they create a Netflix genre called white people and just put all of those documentaries in that mm -hmm. section. Because, I mean, it's basically like once you know the history of capitalism, once you know the history of Europe, it comes as no surprise that the culture and behavior of white society uh, would would be one of of grotesque, unspeakable violence. I mean, why would that not happen? Why would there not? Why would a society born of this kind of savagery against African and indigenous and Arab and colonized people? Why would it produce anything but a Ted Bundy or right. a Dahmer or whatever? 
And, uh, and, and, you know, frankly, as horrifying as those so-called serial killers uh, behaviors were, it's not, they got, they got nothing on the, you know, uh, George Washington and Thomas Jefferson and Kit Carson and, and, you know, Christopher Columbus and his sons. I mean, where, when are they going to start making some docu-series about those guys? Those are the real, I mean, imperialism is the real serial killer that has been for hundreds of years. So uh, I just thought this was great. And the chairman's statement that you read uh, about how, you know, they say that capitalism resulted in this great leap in productivity, uh, this great, you know, step forward for humanity, but it actually was a huge setback. And, and that statement, it's so powerful. It's so moving and, Mm -hmm. and, and true that it removed millions of African people's hands from the relationship with nature that would result in production and in productivity. And just thinking about it removed their hands, it removed their brains, it removed it, it totally distorted the planet Earth. And like what technology is used for became determined by the profit motive what, you know, different kinds of innovation in everything, urban planning, how, you know, uh, architecture, just everything became subordinate to the whim of imperialism. And the whole world, as you've pointed out, like the whole world has been, has been disfigured in the image of white power and imperialism. And just imagining what kind of world could have been and what kind of world will be when those hands and those African human yeah. beings can be, you know, uh, rele- can be released from, can be liberated, yeah. will can liberate themselves from from the the brutal uh, shackles of colonial domination. It's it's so inspiring, and and it has this world has to come about, and we as white people have to do our part in working under the leadership of the African Revolution to win white people to take the stand of solidarity with African people and and fight for reparations this it's 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 sobering and it's inspiring you know we we face the truth about the past and the present and only then can we look ahead and see what the future can look like and will look like and our our responsibility in that yes yes i think it i think it is really liberating for us as well um to to know that there is a way that we can have an honest relationship, we can rectify our relationship, we can redeem the position of white people, but through reparations, through the self-criticism, which means being under and recognizing that the leadership of the struggle is not a so-called white working class, which has never done anything but be opportunist at the expense of African people, but under the African working class, which is fighting to uplift the entire world to get rid of, to overturn this system, to liberate Africa, but all oppressed and colonized peoples, we can be on that side of history. That is our our true anti-imperialist stand. And I think that it it's so concrete. It's not metaphysical. It's so there. You know, we can we can be under the leadership of the African People's Socialist Party, which is building all around the world, or the Uhuru movement, the Black Power Blueprint, you know, just programs of the Uhuru movement, Uhuru Solidarity Movement. I just want to say one more thing really quickly, and that is, you know, this whole myth has been consciously 
perpetrated. And there used to be a thing called a comic book that described how capitalism was born. And it shows Europe and these white serfs and how they formed these guilds, which were early type of unions where they came to actually didn't have their rights, but where they came together to cobble shoes or um, make clothing or, you know, other kinds of things, make furniture or all the things they did. And they, they got together in groups and, and it shows them in wagons going around selling their wares you know, to the, to the European peasants and nobility and making money. And this is how they're saying that these guilds turned into factories and this is how our white people got rich. But we know that no capitalist business is built that way. There's no such thing as incremental growth of something like that that becomes the wealthiest, most powerful concentration of gold and, and money that's, that's ever, um, ever existed on the planet Earth prior to that. That doesn't happen without a massive infusion of capital. And that's what Marx was saying. Well, where did that come from? And that's why he calls it the primitive or first infusion of capital, the startup money that was there. Yeah, it came from the enslavement of African people, the whole assault on Africa, the indigenous. He names it all, you know, even the opium war, the wars forcing um, China to, um, to, to become addicted to opium that was being, that Britain was, was harvesting in India and shipping to China, consciously addicting them and calling for China to, to provide Europe with tea at you know, almost no price whatsoever. And the Chinese were like, hell no, we're not doing that. You know, Just the resistance of the people on the planet Earth, but how this power came to be is so clear from Chairman O'Malley Chatella. I, rec- I recommend the book Vanguard, which you can get. And it's a really a powerful book, Uhuru. Uhuru, I I really appreciate this conversation. Chairwoman Penny Hess of the African People's Solidarity Committee. Jesse Neville, also a chair of the Uhuru Solidarity Movement. Um, I think we can officially declare the lie that capitalism was born benign, shattered. Uhuru. Uhuru. Thank you to everyone who tuned in. This has been Reparations in Action, White Lies, Shattered, Episode 4. You're listening to Reparations in Action. Reparations in Action.